I'd never witnessed anyone's attitude change as fast as his. One moment we were chatting pleasantly, the next he was spitting contempt in that way that people do when they feel under pressure or under attack even. I don't want to get into religion with you, but I just want to say one thing. That was the hint that his personality was morphing from placid to hostile, from Jekyll to Hyde, from afternoon tea with genteel company to prosecuting lawyer attacking a hostile witness. He became intense, agitated. His face and shoulders, relaxed and engaged moments earlier, now tightened. I don't know his name, so let's call him Defensive Dan. I met him last year at a wedding reception. We were seated at the same table. He was a member of the groom's family, and I was the poor bloke who just conducted the wedding. We had spent several minutes talking about nothing in particular, certainly nothing remotely controversial like religion. I don't want to get into religion with you, but I just want to say one thing. I am not into God. And with that, he pushed his chair back and began to stand. But during our few minutes of harmless banter, we had established some mutual respect, so I thought I had won the right to respond. So I said... Before you go, you've said your one thing. Do you mind if I respectfully say one thing too? And he agreed. And I said, you say you are not into God, but God is into you. And then this man who'd said he didn't want to get into religion with me, really got into religion with me. (laughs) Like a Rottweiler let off its leash, his emotions leapt at my throat. I hate religion, he said. All that judging people and that abuse of power, I hate it. I want nothing to do with it. And on he went. It was a tour de force from someone who only brought up the topic of religion in order to tell me he didn't want to talk about religion. I listened quietly and respectfully. And when the Rottweiler had barked itself into silence and sat exhausted on the ground, I made a simple observation. You know, you remind me of Jesus. (laughs) Because he hated religion too. The times he got upset, it was usually with religious people. All that corruption and exploitation and hypocrisy. But he cut through all that stuff and said that what it's all about is loving God with all you have and loving others like you love yourself. And that's why I follow him. Now, if you are expecting his eyes to well with tears, uh, me to baptise him with a glass of water, and the band to play Amazing Grace softly in the background, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But he did look me earnestly in the eye and sincerely thanked me. He took my business card, read it, and put it in his pocket and expressed genuine thanks. 
we had shared a moment conceived in the wild imagination of the Holy Spirit and defensive Dan became, well, earnest, earnest. On this Sunday closest to the Feast of St. Francis, it is timely to remember that even Rottweilers are made by a loving creator, and even they can morph into gentle beasts. This young man dreamed dreams, the same dreams that are on God's heart. Dreams of justice, peace, integrity, honesty, reality where God's people are part of the good news and not the bad, the hypocrites we sometimes are. Ernest, Ernest is not far from the kingdom of God. He's surely closer than the Christians he has known whose behaviour has led him to hate our religion. He's certainly closer too than all the, than the all-mouth-and-no-action hypocrite Jesus tells us about in today's Gospel. His mouth said yes, but his will said no. His mouth said, sure, Dad, but his attitude said, do it yourself. His mouth said, absolutely, Father, but his legs said, do we have to? His heart said, I'm just not into it. His brain said, I've got better things to think about. And his rear end, well, that just stayed buried in the sofa. When his dad asked him to go and work in the family vineyard, his response was enthusiasm, but his actions didn't match. His mouth said yes, but his life said no. But fortunately for dad, he had another son. (laughs) Not much for flattery, never one for people-pleasing. He gives it straight. (laughs) Will I go and work in the vineyard? No. Duh. But what this young man lacks in talented talk and winning words, he makes up for in obedience. He couldn't care less what people think of him. If he doesn't want to do what is expected of him, he'll just say no. But, and here's why Jesus makes him the hero of the story, he changes his mind, obeys his dad, and does a hard day's labour in the vineyard. His mouth said no, but his life said yes. Jesus tells this tale of turnarounds to show the religious leaders that he's talking with their hypocrisy. They are the son who just talked the talk. They are full of hot air about God and faith. They relish dictating to everyone how they should behave, but they don't do it themselves. There's an old Japanese legend of a woman who died and went to heaven. By and by she came to a room filled with shelves. And on the shelves were stacked piles of human ears. St Peter explained that these ears belonged to all the people on earth who listened to God but never acted on what they heard. All their listening never influenced what their hands did or where their feet took them or what their mouths said. And so when these people died, only their ears went to heaven. The religious leaders Jesus is talking to are just a bunch of ears. 
Now, if you are looking for a foolproof way to turn your family and friends off the church, and I'm sure you are, guaranteed, I promise you, be a hypocrite. There is nothing like it. Especially if the person you're seeking to drive away from the church is under the age of 30. People my age say young adults are cynical. They are suspicious of authority. They shun organisations. They reject institutions. But my friend Ernest Ernest taught me something different. He and millions of people of his generation have scratched the surface of institutional Christianity and found there's something missing beneath the paint. Instead of love, they've found dogma. Instead of acceptance, they've received judgment. Instead of liberating, joyful, transparent beauty of the gospel, they've encountered backstabbing, power plays and hypocrisy. Many people, again often of my generation, look at the decline of mainline churches and say we must change the way we worship if we are to attract younger generations. We need contemporary musical forms, video projectors, clergy wearing skinny jeans and beanies. (laughs) But that misses the point. The Christian church is failing to reach younger generations not because we don't have enough electric guitars and not because some of us wear vestments. We are failing to connect with younger people because the beauty of our worship is often skin deep. Our churches have become institutions where power and money talk just as loudly as they do in secular places. Where our words lack grace, our actions lack compassion, and our lives are simply out of step with our beliefs. What the world needs from us is authenticity. If people find within our walls lives that radiate love, faces that reflect the compassion of Christ, and worship that sends us out to change the world for good, then it won't matter that we don't have a rock band, or that we use books instead of screens, or that the priest dresses like a Christmas tree. (laughs) Ernest, Ernest wants authenticity. Don't be afraid of the Rottweiler's bark. He's just looking for love. I like Ernest, Ernest. That afternoon, I thought I was sharing the gospel with him. In fact, I think I received more than I gave. I certainly like Ernest, Ernest, more than than I like the young man who peered at me from the front of the cover of a book I saw in Barnes & Noble's religious section. His face was pleasant, but unsmiling. He stared at me resolutely, with purpose and determination. The title of his book matched the look on his face. I felt a clash of emotions. I was both inspired and depressed. On the one hand, it stirred my soul, ignited my vision, gave me goosebumps of hope. For a moment, I overflowed with courage. I was a Saint Bernard digging through an avalanche for a dying skier. I was a husky winning the Iditarod, a German shepherd leading people to safety. 
but I also experienced the weight of expectation and the dread of failure. I felt watched, judged, weighed in the scales, a specimen at the Westminster dog show. I dreaded the disapproval of God and humans. I began to fear this book, for the author peered into my soul, but not with grace or acceptance. Did I have the guts to risk it all and win? Did I have the fortitude to try, persist and emerge victorious? Go big, the title admonished me, or go home. The prominence given the author's face led me to assume that he was famous, yet I'd never heard of him. I knew he wasn't a theologian. Theologians' faces don't adorn bestsellers. They are way too ugly to appear on dust jackets. So I reasoned that if he were famous, but I'd never heard of him, he must be the star of reality TV. And sure enough, the dust jacket told me he was a past winner of a talent show. Now, I have no doubt that the author of Go Big or Go Home is an inspiring, humble man with an authentic love for God. I believe him to be as loyal as a Labrador, as cuddly as a Spaniel, and as smart as a Border Collie. It's the title and the photo that scare me, and both of them are the work of the publisher, not the singer. You see, when I'm at my best... When life is going well, when I'm doing good work, seeing signs of fruit, when my life is joyful and peaceful, when I'm resisting temptation and ignoring the voices of despair in my head, when I'm feeling the unbroken love of family and friends, when my prayer life is active and my faith robust, then, well, then, yes, I can, as the title orders me, go big. These are the days when I think I have something to give, something to risk, the inner resources I need to conquer the land, take up the challenge and run the gauntlet. But those fields of gold are not the only places I inhabit. I live in deserts too. There are days when I cannot look the author in the eye. Instead, I look at my feet because I can't go big. What I have is too puny, my resources too meagre, my strength too scarce, my faith too withered. So his stare condemns condemns me. Go big or go home. So I take my coat and slip out the back door. That's all part of not being a hypocrite too, isn't it? Admitting our frailties, but somehow through it all, believing that God loves even us poorly behaved mongrels. Today is the start of our stewardship campaign. Over the next few weeks, we will be challenged. And one of the challenges is this. To reach earnest, earnest, we must walk the walk. And that means there's no part of our lives that we will withhold from the loving, gracious rule of God, including the financial realm. It's going to be tough. But hear the word of the Lord. You will not be sent to the doghouse. 
Our master has all we need and will lavish it on us. We live in Christ. You may think you have nothing to give, but when all seems impossibly huge and demanding, God still welcomes us, embraces us, and proudly calls us his children. Amen.